The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Philippians chapter number 3, verses 20 and 21. We're going to read these two verses and then we're going to come back to them towards the end of the service. Um, the truths that we see in these verses, I know personally sometimes, I've, I've read the book of Philippians, I don't know how many times, and to be honest with you, these are two verses that I sometimes have just kind of skipped over. But as I was reading and as I was studying this week, they really hit me. And we're going to see this morning that these truths build on some other foundations that the Apostle Paul lays throughout the book of Philippians. So we're going to read Philippians 3, 20 and 21, and then we're going to come back to it towards the end of the sermon. The Bible says, for our conversation is in heaven. Now this word conversation, if you look it up in the Greek, it can also be translated commonwealth, community, or citizenship. It means our citizenship. So what Paul is saying here, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. And he says, And we look to heaven to our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. Inside your service program, there's an outline that you can use that'll help us look at these truths this morning as we study the Word of God together. Well, I don't know about you, but the 4th of July is probably one of my favorite holidays. I love celebrating our freedom. I love studying American history. I love the fireworks. I'm very excited for tomorrow for some red, white, and boom. Um, I I enjoy it. I enjoy all the festivities. Uh, But if I were to be just completely transparent with you, well, this weekend I'm going to be celebrating America most days I kind of worry. Um, you just, I, I know I talked a little bit about it last week. You just look around and it just, you get, you, I get worried and I get scared sometimes for the future of our country. I feel like the America my parents grew up in isn't really the America I grew up, grew up in and the America that I grew up in won't necessarily be the America that my children uh, grow up in. Sometimes I wonder if the liberties and the freedom that we enjoy often, if we're to be honest, take for granted uh, we'll be gone. Maybe in my children's lifetime, maybe even in my lifetime. I don't know. Sometimes I worry. Some days I get angry. <laughs> Some days I just want to completely disconnect and go live off the grid in the middle of the forest somewhere. Have you ever felt like the America that you love is maybe the America that we're losing? And it's in moments like these, I need today's message. I, I can't tell you this week, I've preached this message to myself several times. It's in moments like these I need to remind myself that my ultimate hope is not America. Say, Pastor Nick, you're not supposed to say that on the 4th of July weekend. If, if, if our country is our hope, we're, we're losing it. But we have a greater hope. Uh, I, I don't think, um, I have to remind myself that the church is made up of every nation. Jesus was an American. He didn't even speak English. Our, our hope isn't in our country. It's in days like these I need to remind myself that my liberty is ultimately not from my government. Now, I am extremely thankful for the civic liberty I enjoy as American. I'm thankful for it. I love it. I'm going to celebrate it tomorrow. But ultimately, I have to remind myself that my true freedom is found in Jesus Christ. It's times like these I need to remind myself, and we need to remind ourselves, that we're citizens of a better kingdom, of a different kingdom. 
And like I said earlier, there are several truths that lay the foundation for our text this morning. As Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. There are several truths throughout the book of Philippians that leads us up to this awesome truth. And the first truth I want to look at this morning is in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Flip back a page to Philippians 2. I'm just going to say at the outset, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, and we're going to look at a lot of God's word that has a lot of awesome truths that we just won't have the time to fully unpack this morning. But there's several things that I want to focus in on. Philippians 2, verse number 6 says, Who being in the form of God, talking about Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, that was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Get this, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. God has highly exalted Jesus, and he has given him a name that is above every name. Jesus' name is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The first truth I want to remind us this morning is the supremacy of Jesus. The supremacy of Jesus. That name that is above every name, therefore, is Lord. That name, Jesus, the Lord, who is victorious over all his enemies. The Lord has purchased a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And at the end of the age, when the mission of the church reaches its glorious conclusion, the name of Jesus will be sounded all around the world, and every knee will bow. The angels in heaven, the living on earth, or the dead under the earth, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Believers and unbelievers alike will acknowledge in that day that Jesus Christ is, has triumphed over every enemy. Believers to our everlasting joy, and unbelievers to their everlasting shame. When I think about Jesus, I, my, my mind always, almost always goes to Revelation chapter number one, where John has a vision of heaven, and he sees Jesus on the throne. Listen to these verses, and as I read these verses of Revelation, I want you to picture in your mind eye what John is describing for us. He's picturing Jesus for us. He's giving us a description of what Jesus is like, and it's awesome. Let's read it. He says in Revelation 1, 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto the fine brass, as if they had burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. This isn't some pansy-looking Jesus. This is Jesus and his majesty, Jesus and his glory. His face is brilliant. The Bible says his countenance shine like the sun. You can't look at the sun for very long without it singeing your eyes. Jesus is so brilliant and he's so glorious, we can't even look at him. His hair and his face, it's white like snow, it's radiant, it's pure. His voice sounds like the oceans. Revelation goes on, it says in verse 17, and he laid his right hand on me. This is John saying, fear not, I'll touch on that in just a minute. He says, I am the first, I am the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Get this picture of Jesus. He has a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are like fire. He's so brilliant, we can't even look at him. He's so majestic. Is it any wonder that Jesus had to put his hand on John's shoulder and said, fear not? 
Oftentimes we talk about having a fear of God where we have this reverential awe, and that's, that's exactly the type of fear that we're supposed to have of God, but that's not the fear John is experiencing right now. He goes on to say he fell flat on his face as though he were dead. Before Jesus, the supreme ruler, creator of the universe, he had to fall flat on his face because he was so brilliant and so majestic and so just unspeakable, full of glory. Jesus, Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Get this, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, any type of government, any type of political office, any type of president, prime minister, whatever the political office is, it was all created by and for Jesus. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the church, the body, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Church, I want to remind us who it is we serve this morning. I want to remind us who it is we worship and who it is we follow. This is Jesus, the supreme being in all the universe. This is Jesus. And at his name, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Jesus, the supreme ruler, he has defeated all evil. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Why did Jesus come down to earth? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, for as much sin as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, Jesus, took, him, took himself part of the same. He became flesh and blood, just like we are, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject unto bondage. When Jesus died on the cross, making atonement for our sins, Satan was defeated. Christ disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example over them, triumphing on the cross. I love how Colossians 2 puts it, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. What did he do? He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. He just didn't beat it in some backroom deal. Jesus came and he conquered. He openly defeated evil. And that is the Jesus who we serve this morning. He is supreme over everything. Our God that loves us beyond comprehension. Our God that died for us. Jesus Christ, who we just sang to and praised a moment ago. He is supreme and he has conquered death. As Christians, we have nothing to fear because we serve Jesus. The sting of death was removed, the power of sin was broken, and the triumph of the church was secured. Because Christ is supreme, because the power of sin was broken, the triumph of the church was secured. Because Christ is supreme, the church has nothing to fear. You may say, but it feels like we're losing our religious liberties. It, it, our liberty doesn't come from the government, it comes from Jesus. And because he has defeated evil and he has conquered all, the future of the church is secure. Matthew 16, 18 said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can't stop Jesus. He is supreme. He is Lord over all. Because Jesus is supreme, you and I don't have to worry. We don't have to buck her down and hold on till the end. We can live the life that God has called us to live. We can live lives of reckless abandon and service to Jesus because he is triumphant and he is supreme. 
a, a lot of times, I, I love my son. He's, he's great. But sometimes I think God gave me a two-year-old because it reminds me of how uh, immature I am. <laughs> um, he's great. But sometimes Nicholas can have the most epic meltdowns. I think we have a picture. This is a, a picture of him here on the steps. Just, I, th- I think at this time he got up too early and he would just let the world know he was not ready to be awake. It, you know, sometimes as a two-year-old, he has the most epic meltdowns over nothing. And as his dad, I'm like, kid, <laughs> you're falling apart over nothing, you know? You, you don't realize how good you have it. Now, granted, he's two. But oftentimes, I wonder how much we're like, my son. A lot of our own meltdowns could be solved if we just remembered who Jesus was. I, 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 I have meltdowns. I get a lot of them. <laughs> That's my wife. But most of the time, if I just remembered, I serve the supreme being of the universe who holds the, the, the keys to, to hell and death in one hand and holds the stars in his other hand and has a sword that comes out of his mouth and his eyes are like fire and He's so brilliant, nobody can look at him, and everybody's response is to bow down in fear. If I remembered I served him, and he loves me, and he's for me, kind of makes all my problems pale in comparison. And sometimes I wonder if God just doesn't look down at me and go, son, you don't realize how good you got it. We serve Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we just throw up our hands and do nothing. Okay, Jesus got it, so we can just do nothing, right? That's not, that's not what we're saying. Like we preached about last week, we are light, and light is supposed to shine. That means we're supposed to do something. That means we're supposed to be involved. As Christians in America, I believe we should vote. I believe we should be informed. In fact, that's one of the things my wife and I are trying to do more of this year, being more informed, know what's going on, so we can make an educated vote. And this, this week, I emailed several assemblymen about a bill, and I said, hey, please vote against this bill. But you know, when that bill passed anyway, my world doesn't have to be rocked because I still serve Jesus. I still serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and at his feet, everybody will bow. Can I let us all in on a little secret? It's not really a secret. It's in the Bible. The world is coming to an end. And at the end, Jesus wins. <laughs> Church, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to worry because Jesus is supreme. And because Jesus is supreme, knowing Jesus should be our greatest delight, which leads us to our second thought this morning, the excellency of knowing Jesus. Jesus is supreme. And I realize my words can never do how supreme he is justice. But because he is supreme, knowing him should be our greatest delight. Let's look at chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 7 through 14. Again, so much in these passages, for sake of time, we're not going to unpack everything. But look at verse number 7 of chapter 3. Paul says, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In verses 5 and 6, Paul talks about his resume. He talks about how he's this really religious, and he has the right pedigree, and he is the right nationality. Not only is he a Jew, but he's of the, of the tribe of the Benjamins. He's like a varsity Jew. He's awesome. He's like, look at me. Look how awesome I is. And then in verse number 7, he says, the things that were gained to me, those things I used to care about, my reputation, how good I was, what people thought of me, my standing in society, those things that were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yet doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. I don't want to be inappropriate, but this is gross. This is, this is like, it's disgusting. Like, you want nothing to do with it. Like, it makes you gag and want to throw up. Gross. Paul says, all those things that used to be so important for me, I, I, I count them but dung that I may win Christ. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. And Paul kept the law to the letter. He says, it's not about my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And get this, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul looks at his standings in the upper echelons of religious society, the Pharisees. Like we said last week, we kind of look at them now as self-righteous hypocrites, but in those days, the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. They're everybody looked up to. They were the guys that are like, man, those guys, they have it all together. Let's, let's, let's follow them. Let's do what they do. The Pharisees, they, they were it. Paul just wasn't a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was their leader. He was like one of the top guys in the Pharisees, and he looks at his standing in the upper echelons of religious society. He looks at the glory of being on top of that very group. He looks at all the perks that comes with all the applause, all the praise that he gets. He looks to the rigor of his law-keeping and the sense of moral pride that he enjoyed because he was so good and he was so right. He looks at all of it, and he turns his whole world upside down when he says, what things were gained to me, verses 5 and 6. I counted them as loss. You see, before Paul was a Christian... He had a ledger with two columns. One column said gains, and the other column said losses. On the gain side was the human glory of verses 5 and 6. On the loss side was the terrible prospect that this Jesus movement might get out of hand and Jesus prove real and win the day. But when Paul met the supreme Christ on the Damascus Road, all that changed. Paul took a big red pencil and wrote loss in big letters over the gain column. And he wrote gain in big letters over the lost column, but it only had one name in it, Christ. Paul said, these things that mattered so much to me, my religious standing, my, my, my glory, my pride, my, my, my position, all of it, he says it's nothing. Not only that, the more Paul thought about the relative values of life in the world and the greatness of Christ, he moved beyond the few things mentioned in 5 and 6, and he put everything but Christ in the lost column. Verse 8, he says, Yea, Dallas, I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He started by counting his most precious accomplishments as loss, and then he ended up counting everything as loss except Christ. You see, nothing should be more glorious in our eyes than knowing Jesus more and more. Nothing should be more precious to us than knowing Jesus because he's supreme. And he loves me. And he died for me. Jesus is so supreme, knowing him should be the glory of our lives. Knowing Jesus, if, when knowing Jesus is not the most glorious thing in our lives, can I just say this? That should be a a big red flag that Jesus is not supreme in some area of my life. When there's a part of my life that I value more than I value knowing Christ, that, that should tell me something about my heart, that, man, there's an area of my life where Christ isn't supreme. Because if he was, this, this wouldn't even be a contest. You can't compete against Christ. Paul even goes so far as to say he wants to suffer if it means knowing Jesus more. He wants to suffer? 
nowadays, we, we run from the side of suffering. We equate suffering with being outside of God's will. Man, I must have done something wrong to suffer like this. But the Bible speaks so loudly to the contrary. To know the power of Christ's resurrection first requires a crucifixion. Can't raise something from the dead that ain't dead. And Paul says, I want to know Christ so much, I'm okay to, to be in him in the fellowship of his sufferings so that I can know the power of the resurrection in my life. That's how glorious Jesus is, that it should be worth it for us to suffer the loss of all things just so that we can know him more. When Jesus reigns supreme in our hearts, knowing him will be the delight of our lives. Knowing and experiencing his love will make everything else pale in comparison. Look what Paul says, or prays for the Christians at Ephesus. In Ephesians 3.14, he says, For this cause I bow the knees unto the Father, that ye may be able to comprehend, to know, to understand, to experience with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge that ye may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul says this supreme Jesus, the one people bow before in fear, loves you past you even being able to fully understand. He loves you past all comprehension. He loves you more than we can even understand. And Paul says, I pray that you will know that and continue to know that and experience that. Why? Because knowing Jesus is the most excellent thing you can ever experience in your life. Knowing him, and and not just knowing about him. I could rattle off every fact in the world about Wayne Gretzky. That doesn't mean I know the guy. This is having a relationship, experiencing his love, experiencing him above all else. The supreme king who is Jesus loves us past comprehension. Now, what does this mean practically for us? How How does this flesh out? How does the excellency of knowing Jesus functionally play out in my life? I think it means a few things. First of all, I think it means that whenever I'm called upon to choose between, anything, choose between anything in this world and Christ, I choose Christ. Every time, I choose Christ. I think it means that I will deal with the things of this world in a way that draws me closer to Christ so that I can gain more of Christ and enjoy more of him by the way I use the world. Man, when God gives us a blessing, we enjoy that blessing so that we can enjoy Christ more. Man, we use our jobs so that we can enjoy Christ more. We, we just, everything in our lives, we use everything in the world to, so that we can fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. It means that I will always deal with the things in this world that show they are not my treasure, but rather shows that Christ is my treasure. The, the way I interact in my home and at my job and with my family, it should all point to the fact that Jesus is my treasure. I'm so thankful he's given me all these blessings. I'm like this past week, Sarah and I, we're just kind of like been floored with the blessings of God in our life. But ultimately, those tangible blessings are not our treasure. Jesus is our treasure. And when Jesus is supreme in our life, we will deal with things in a way that shows they are not our treasure, but that Christ is our treasure. I think lastly it means that if I lose any or all of these things this world can offer, I won't lose my joy or my treasure because I have Jesus. We we could lose our house, and I really hope we don't. (laughs) I just moved. I don't want to move again. But ultimately, if that happens, we can still have joy because we have Christ. I'm so thankful for our freedom. But if one day we lose it, we still have joy. We still have treasure because we have Christ. I'm so thankful for everything that God's put in my life. I I don't want to lose any of it. But when Christ is supreme in my heart, even when I do, he's still my joy. He is still my treasure. 
because he is supreme. Now, all of this culminates in an awesome truth that we read in those few verses earlier. Because Christ reigns supreme, and knowing Jesus is better than anything in this world, we have hope. We have rest. We have life. We don't have to worry. Why? Because Christ is sovereign. So our last thought this morning, the sovereignty of Jesus. Let's look at one more time at verses 20 and 21. For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Like I said, why I love being an American, I must use and love the freedom I enjoy as a result to remind me and point me to the fact that I am a citizen of heaven. God has given us this blessing to remind us and ultimately point back to we're citizens of his kingdom. His term is never up. His word is always sure. He is always good, always perfect, and his reign is eternal. We are citizens of heaven. This ought to fill our hearts with hope. This ought to fill our hearts with life. Several truths I want to look at in these two verses, and then we'll we'll call it a morning. First of all, we see he is our ruler. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus is our ruler. The supreme being of all the universe is the one who leads us. Think about that. I mean, sometimes, I don't want to get too much into politics, but I really worry about this year's election. I don't have to because Jesus is the one I ultimately follow. Jesus is my ruler. Jesus is our ruler. Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Get this, if our resurrection of Christ is so sure, and it is according to the word of God, if our resurrection of Christ is so sure, then we are to live in a constant consciousness that we are citizens of another age. We're in this world, but we're not of it. I'm I'm proud to say I'm an American, but ultimately I'm, I'm in a different, I'm a citizen of a different nation, of a different kingdom. I follow Jesus. He says in Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The gates of hell may one day prevail against America, but they will never prevail against the kingdom of God. And as much as I don't want to lose any of the freedoms I enjoy, if we do, the mission of the church won't be stopped. Church, we can have rest and we can go forward in confidence because we serve Jesus and he will not be stopped. He is our ruler. He is the one that leads us. He is sovereign over all. First of all, see, he is our ruler, our conversation, our citizenship. It's in heaven. We also see that Jesus is returning for us. It says in verse 20, we look to heaven for our Savior. Jesus is returning for us. This world is not our final home. We're in it, but we're not of it. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus, the supreme ruler of the universe, is returning for you. He's returning for me. The Bible says that's our blessed hope. That's what we look forward to. That's why we can have confidence. Because at the end of this age, Jesus is coming for us. That should make our hearts sing with confidence. Sing with joy. Even though the world is falling apart. Why? Because Jesus, the supreme ruler of the universe, is coming for you. And he's coming for me. He is our ruler. He is returning for us. 
as Christians, we have a source of hope that surpasses all others. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't a Christian. I probably would go live off the grid. But because we have Jesus, we have hope. We have confidence. Why? Because we have a sure hope that he is returning for us. He is our ruler. He is returning for us. We see also in verse 21 that he will transform us physically. It says he will change our vile bodies like his body. When Christ returns, we are going to get a glorified body, and it's not some ethereal spirit. We're going to get a perfect body, one that's not tainted with sickness, a body that's not stricken with disease, a body that cannot be marred by sin. Man, when we consider all that the future holds for us, worry should flee our minds. Like, Jesus, I, I, I get to be on the same team as him? I can remember in school, I get to be so excited. If I was on the same team as the cool guy, guess what? We're on the same team as Jesus. <laughs> he is our ruler, and he's returning for us. And when he returns, he's going to give us a glorified body, one that can't be touched by sin. I know there's so many of us who struggle with so many different health things. One day when Jesus returns, you will receive a glorified body that can be no longer marred by sickness, no longer marred by disease, no longer marred by sin. That should give us so much hope and so much confidence. Our hearts should sing. Sometimes I get so focused on my problems that I, I, I forget. Look at who I serve. Look at everything God has done for me. Look at everything that he's going to do for me. Worry should flee our minds. And last, at the end of verse 21, I love this one. He will make all things right. End of verse 21, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Jesus is going to make every wrong right. Revelation 21, 4 through 5, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. All of us have been grieved for the loss of a loved one, and God says there's coming a day when there'll be no more death. Neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be there any more pain. For the former things are passed away, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And sometimes when, we, when I look at our world, it's, in my flesh I get sick. You look at the racial divide, you look at the political divide, everywhere you look, there's just divide. And it's just sin. Everywhere you look, this world is being ravaged by sin. But as a Christian, we can have hope. Because Jesus will make all things right. I want you to imagine a life lived with these realities at the forefront of your mind. I want you to imagine how different your life would be if every day we woke up and we lived knowing we were citizens of heaven, that Jesus is supreme. We, we can have confidence regardless of who's in the White House because we have Jesus, and he's on a throne whose reign never, ever ends. Imagine, imagine the confidence. Imagine how different we would interact with each other. I don't know about you, but when I, when I get that picture of Jesus in my mind, a revelation, that's the most humbling thing. John fell on his face as though he were dead. In the Greek, that means he passed out. <laughs> he, just, he, had, he had a fall flat on his face. When Isaiah saw God in the throne room, he said, woe is me, for I am undone. Isaiah was a prophet. 
And he said, woe is me, I am undone. Man, when we, when we see Jesus as supreme, there should just be this humility that's produced in our hearts. And does he think that he loves us? He died for us? He wants to have a relationship with me? Whew. You can say what you want about Nick Minerva. <laughs> I want you to imagine how different your life would be. Imagine how different we would interact with each other. I want you to imagine the faith that would be produced in your hearts every time we came into corporate worship. Get this. We realized and believed that we were a part of his church and the gates of hell could not prevail against it. When we come into corporate worship, we're gathering together as his church. And no, this church isn't perfect because we're all in it. <laughs> we kind of have a tendency of, of ruining things. That's our sin nature. But Christ has given us a new nature. And imagine how much faith would be in our hearts if every time we came into corporate worship, we realized I'm a part of God's plan. I'm a part of God's mission. And I get to be a part and I get to worship the risen Savior who is in charge of everything and who rules over everything. And he is sovereign. Imagine the faith that would stir in your heart. Imagine the faith that that would give us as a church to go forward and serve our community. Man, sometimes I'm like, what's even the point? I just want to stick my head in the sand. But imagine the faith when we realize that Jesus said, not even the gates of hell, not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. It's bigger than any problem. It's bigger than any person. It's bigger than any individual. And when we get our eyes off of ourselves and we get our eyes on Jesus Man, the faith that could grow in our hearts for the future of what God wants to do at the Ambassador Baptist Church and in all the churches around Fresno. Imagine what God could do with the faith when we just believe that we are a part of His church. Imagine how our lives would be different. Imagine the peace that we would experience even when this world keeps ripping itself apart and falling apart and as governments crumble and as man terrorist attack it seems like every week now imagine the peace that we could experience knowing that jesus is in control he's got this nothing ever occurs to him nothing ever takes him by surprise imagine the peace that would fill our hearts worry anxiety fear it all goes away when we consider jesus when we consider he is the supreme ruler, Jesus. Imagine the hope and the joy that we could share knowing that Jesus will make all things right. One day Jesus is going to come and he's going to fix it. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be no more death, no more pain. All the wrongs will be made right. All this can be our daily experience. Sometimes when I look at Paul and uh, Philippians, I think, man, that's a varsity Christian right there. But Paul says, no, no, follow me. You can, he tells the church of Philippi, you can do this too. This can be your daily experience too. We just, by faith, get our eyes on Jesus. Church, let's get our eyes on Jesus. I love the song. The things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When our eyes are on him, the problems will fade. The sin will fade. Everything fades into him because he is supreme. And knowing him is better than anything. And he is in control. All this can be our daily experience if we remember we are citizens of a better country. We are citizens of heaven. 
Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.